What priority does prayer have in your life? Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. Prayer really begins with God through prayer. Prayer is a dependency on God. The priority is God's kingdom and God's will, not ours. It's His kingdom come. That's a priority in our prayers. Not my kingdom. It seems that we try everything and once everything is exhausted, we say, well, okay, we might as well pray. Like if it's the last thing. No, it's supposed to be the first thing. The very first thing. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most of us live our life according to a calendar filled with our commitments and sought-after appointments. Well, according to Pastor Xavier, there's a better plan, a plan invested with power and purpose. It's called the plan of prayer. Take a moment and follow along in the Gospel of Luke as our study series continues with a look into the prayer life of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke captures the prayer life of Jesus as he's moving through life and ministry, through the difficulties, through the good times. So what we want to do is um, observe the various occasions that our Lord and Savior has prayed during his life here to teach us um, our complete dependency upon him, but what each individual occasion indicate for us as believers. The sixth occasion is in chapter 10, verse 21 and 22. Jesus has just reproved the 70 for rejoicing that demons were subject to them as they were preaching the gospel, healed the diseased, and cast out demons. But he says, rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. And then Jesus turned to thank the Father for those who were saved Verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that descended upon him at the baptism and empowered him to defeat Satan in the wilderness, the very same Spirit, the third person. He rejoiced, meaning exceedingly glad, thrilled with joy by the Holy Spirit. And God gave him the Spirit without measure, we're told by John. Notice Jesus thanked the Father in prayer, Lord of heaven and earth, for having hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. It sounds almost like God is blinding people purposely, right? That's not what he's talking about. The word hidden there is concealed from the wise and prudent. Those who are dependent on their own intellect and pride. It means that the gospel is preached and some hear the gospel and are open to the revelation that they're sinners in rebellion to God, and they repent. And others say, I am not a sinner. I don't need salvation. And they harden their heart. We studied the parable of the sower, right, in, in Luke 8. And some fell by the wayside, never penetrated. This is the ones who reject. Now, if you reject the gospel, if you don't agree in God that you're a sinner, that you're an enemy of God and need a salvation, then God honors your choice. And so the light that he gave you for you to see that, now that you disagreed with him, he removes it from you. So you remain blind. In fact, greater blindness because now that little light is taken away, so there's further darkness. We agreed on this. But you can't blame God because he honors your choice, right? You say you didn't agree with God, so he honors it. Fine, because he doesn't force you to go to heaven. But you can go to heaven. You don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. If you agree with God. So God honors their choice and removes the light which was given them, resulting in spiritual darkness, blindness. Listen to Jesus in John 8, 18, there in the parable of the sower, remember. He said, therefore take heed, a warning, 
how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken away from him. That's regarding the gospel. That's the context. Pharaoh of the sower. So the little light that is given, if you reject it, it's taken from you. So you end up worse than you began. But that's your choosing. God just honors your choice. So you can't blame God. Simple. Now look at 21. In contrast, he reviews it to babes, those who humbly acknowledge their inability to merit salvation by any works that they do, trusting only the atoning work of Jesus Christ. They are poverty of spirit, bankrupt. They agree with the beatitude, Matthew 5, 3. Poor in spirit, bankrupt. I can't deserve it. I can't merit it. I have to receive it by grace through faith, agreeing with God that I'm a sinner. Jesus reveals the Father, John 1, 18. No one else. He says this seems good to the Father's sight, notice. Not that sinners are blinded, but that babes have opened their heart and are saved. Okay? The absolute authority of Jesus is vested by the Father to him. The Father draws sinners, and the Son reveals the Father to those in salvation. Verse 22 is very clear. The integral relationship between the Father and the Son are tied together. You get the Father through the Son. You reject the Son, you neither get the Son nor the Father. Real simple. So the sixth occasion of prayer by Jesus marks the thankfulness that we should have for believers who have come to Christ having agreed with God that they're sinners. We should thank God for those who repent, those who believe the gospel, realizing that it's not us who has done this, but we've been the instrument. We've seen the power of God in the life of believers. You witnessed the power in your own life. You heard the gospel, and you were convicted, and you repented. That's a work of God. The message of the gospel is not ours. It has been imparted to us. The authority to preach the gospel is invested to us. It's not ours. And the responsibility to, for people to repent is not ours. Ours is just to preach the gospel. This is the definition of a herald in the days that Paul was writing. A herald was hired by the king or the state to make proclamations. The message was not theirs. It was given to them. The Authority was not theirs. It was vested to them to make the proclamation. And they were not responsible for the response to the proclamation. Their only responsibility was to make the proclamation. So we, we are the ends we proclaim. It's not my message, not my authority, and I'm not responsible for your response. Though I know there will be a response, one of two. You'll accept or you'll reject. Simple. The understanding that it is the Father who initiates in salvation and the Son who reveals the Father is very, very clear throughout. So the sixth occasion Jesus prays was after the seventhly return, and he gave thanks to the Father in prayer for those saved. So in our prayer life, there needs to be a room for thanksgiving, not just asking, but thanksgiving, particularly in the text for those that are saved, but so many things we can put on the list. Notice the seventh. The seventh occasion Jesus um, prays, was when um, one of the disciples asked him to teach them to pray in uh, chapter 11, verse 1 through 4 of Luke. As you know, Jesus often prayed, and they always watched him, but he never prayed with the disciples together. We never get any record of that. Jesus is once again praying, and one of his disciples observing him uh, asked him, teach us to pray. In verse 1, the request was, as John taught his disciples to pray, and the word prayer there again is admiration and worship for the fifth and sixth time, both of these words here. Now, it's interesting that it says, as John the Baptist taught, we don't get any record of that, 
So it's an interesting statement knowing that he did. We just don't have any record of it. Notice in verse 2 through 4, Jesus proceeds to teach them to pray, not a prayer to be repeated, but an example um, teaching them proper perspective, attitude, and content of prayer. Jesus could have never prayed this. This is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, but it isn't Jesus' prayer. He could never pray this. Why? Because you're asking forgiveness of sins. Jesus had no sin. The Lord's Prayer is found in John 17 when he speaks to the Father before he goes to the cross. First notice verse 2. He teaches them an acknowledgement of one being addressed, being the Father in heaven whose name is Holy. There's a relationship that the Jew never had. The, father, the Jew never called God Father in the Old Testament. There's not one text to that. Now, as a nation, it's a reference that God was the Father of the nation, but never to an individual Jew. This is a higher privilege than any other in the New Testament, that we are called sons of God. We can call him Abba Father, Daddy. And he's holy. Second thing is recognizing the priority of the kingdom of God. Verse 2, it's his kingdom come. That's a priority in our prayers. Not my kingdom. A lot of pastors are building their kingdom. And they're good marketers, good organizers. They become famous. And they don't spend time with the people anymore. They're too busy. Thirdly, desiring the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. So his kingdom and his will. Priorities. Fourth, in verse 3, depending on God for daily provisions, our daily bread. It's so easy not to pray for that because, well, well I can just go to the store. And yes, we have stores, but are you dependent on the Father to provide your daily bread? Thanking Him. Fifth, in verse 4, going to God to be forgiven for sins because we forgive the sins of those who ask us to forgive them. Ooh, they're tied together. If I don't forgive people who ask me to forgive, I have no right to ask God to forgive me or to believe that he will if I don't forgive. Matthew tells us that. If I don't forgive others, God will not forgive me. Ooh, it's conditioned. And then, six, trusting and yielding to God against the temptations of the devil. Four, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, Satan. Looking to God, not trusting myself. So the seventh occasion of prayer by Jesus marks a dependency on God to learn to pray. The attitude, the perspective of holiness, his will, his kingdom, and the content of all that. You can watch people pray, but we also need instructions. So we study the prayers of the Bible, the prayers of Jesus. We have one weakness, the scripture says in Romans 8, 26. We don't know how to pray the way we ought. So the Spirit makes intercession according to the will of God. Ephesians 6, 18 in the armor includes prayer. Jude verse 2 says we're to pray in the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a dependency on God. The priority is God's kingdom and God's will, not ours. Prayer really begins with God, true prayer. Not just me coming with lists. Let me give you an example. Remember when Moses was up on Mount Sinai? And God's ready to wipe out the children of Israel? And Moses says, Lord, if you cannot forgive them, blot my name out of the book of life. Now you got one of two choices. Either that prayer was laid on 
Moses' heart to be listed to God so God could do that, or Moses is more compassionate than God. Which one you want? <laughs> it's simple. True prayer often is begun with God as he lays it on our heart and it begins to burden us. Or we come to God in prayer with our list and all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to lay and redirect us on our petitions to have his kingdom done, his will be done. Priorities. The mini parable that follows is an illustration usually taught about being persistent in prayer. But that would mean that it teaches by comparison making God out to be like this friend reluctant to give him bread from verse 5 through 8. But it's a contrast, not a comparison. Parables compare a contrast. And the majority of people teach this as a comparison. No. This friend, even though he's a friend, he will not get up. In fact, the word persistent means shameless persistency. And he says, this guy's going to keep bugging me. I'm going to get up and give just to get rid of him. Is that the way you think God answers your prayer? Oh, God, Gabriel, give him what he wants. Let's get him out of here. <laughs> no, it's a contrast. God isn't like that. The next mini parable is a comparison, 9 to 13. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, verse 13, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give to you the gift of the Holy Spirit? They do not teach that you need to storm and persist and bug God. It teaches that all you have to do is ask. Wow. How that message can be destroyed because we don't study properly. All of us have fallen prey to this and do if we don't study on our own. Very important. So the seventh occasion Jesus prays, was when one of his disciples asked him to teach them to pray. The eighth and last occasion Jesus prays was in the Garden of Gethsemane to submit to the difficult will of God. Hmm. Chapter 22, verse 39 through 46. Jesus has just finished celebrating the Passover in the upper room with his 12 disciples, apostles at this time, and they've just departed to Gethsemane singing the Hallel Psalm, Psalm 113 to 118. Going down the side of the mountain on the, on the temple side, down the Kidron and up to the Mount of Olives there. Verse 39 identifies the Mount of Olives here. Jesus often went there as custom, as practice. And in verse 40, Jesus arrived at Gethsemane, the olive press is what it means, at the foot of Mount Olives, commanding his disciples to pray. At this point, they're apostles so that they not enter temptation. A lot of times we give in because we're not praying. We're trusting on our own strength, our experience. Well, I've done this before. I know how to handle you. What? Experience is good, but you, in the Lord, you can't trust just what you've successfully fulfilled in the past. It's like a test. You may have passed a test in the past, but if I take it again, will you pass it? It's a new test. Jesus withdrew, kneeling to pray, verse 41 says. Again, both words for prayer is the word that we've studied, adoration and worship. This, this is the sixth to seventh time. Now, Jesus was very sorrowful, greatly distressed and troubled, and took Peter, James, and John. Matthew 26 and Mark 14 confirmed this. Jesus prayed for the cup to pass from him in verse 42. 
knowing the horror of the physical suffering, but most of all for the spiritual violation that he was going to be made literal sin and he was going to be separated from the Father's fellowship for the very first time and the wrath of God the Father would be falling upon him for me, for you, in my place. We have no idea about this. We can never comprehend it. He said, not my will, but yours be done. These are difficult times. That's how it applies for us. This is not a light matter in the ministry and life of Jesus. Jesus was strengthened by angels being in such agony that verse 43 and 44 says, he sweat like great bloods of blood falling to the ground. These verses, the fact that he sweat as drops of blood, his capillaries just bursting through the, through the skin. Nobody says that but Luke. Jesus arose and he found the disciples asleep in 45 through 46. The word for prayer there, again, means to address God in prayer in general. The idea of worship and reverence always to God. It's the same word that was used when Jesus prayed all night to choose his 12 apostles. Same one. The disciples are reproved for sleeping, not guarding against temptation. Verse 46, what's coming? They're going to come to arrest Jesus. What do they do? They run. They flee. Matthew and Mark tell us he prayed three times, and every time he returned, they were sleeping. The eighth occasion of prayer by Jesus marks a dependency on God for submitting ourselves to his perfect will, even in times of agony and suffering. This is where the rubber meets the road, ladies and gentlemen. This is when you and your wife can't get along. This is when you and your children are having a difficult time. This is when they tell you that you've lost your job. This is when you get the news that you've got cancer. This is when your world is falling apart. This is life. Too many Christians are like people in the world with the social media. They're living the dream, a lie. Everybody's a star today. They have their own TV program, Twitter. Everything they post, lies the majority of it. Wow. What a plastic world we live in today. Christians are included, by the way. Prayer is to align ourselves with the will of God in order to not do our own will. Listen, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit them, their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator, 1 Peter 4.19. Those who suffer according to the will of God. Why would God do that? I have no idea, but I know he's sufficient. Prayer too often is thought of only as getting things from God where it really is to tap into the things and the will of God. Daniel 9, Daniel went to the Lord, seventh week of Daniel. 1 John 5, 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, his will. Simple principle, ready? The will of God is found in the word of God. Not your emotions, not your feelings, not your opinions, not in, Lord, if, if this is really you, I should go out with this non-believer. Let the phone ring in the next five hours at least one time. <laughs> the will of God is found in the Word of God. Are you a student of the Word of God? Then you know the will of God. Prayer will strengthen us in and through the difficult times of suffering by doing the will of God, and He will use it for His glory. Many of you, I could go around this room, you can tell me of things that you and your wife and you yourself have gone through that were just horrible. And because you were committed to do the will of God, you went through it, 
and you've come out looking more like Jesus than yourself. And though you wouldn't want to go through it again, you would never exchange it for all the money in the world because it made you more like him and less like you. Welcome to the family. There's no exception. Listen to um, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice in the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody, and other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let her not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now, if people tell you to shut up because you're obnoxious, don't say it's because you're a Christian. You're just obnoxious. If people tell you get out of their life because you're being nosy, don't say it's because you're a Christian. It's simple. Interesting that this is the eighth occasion regarding prayer. As you know, the number eight is the number of new beginnings. Number seven is the number of completeness. Seven days in a week, seven basic colors in the color scale, seven notes in the music scale. Eighth is a new beginning always. The Christian's life is a new beginning that is to be marked by prayer, a total and complete dependency upon God. There's no exception. The word for prayer throughout this, these texts is just a simple word for prayer that means prayer in general, encompassing worship and petition. How we need to pray, ladies and gentlemen, more than ever before as we are in the last days. If you're involved in ministry, you have kids, you have a marriage, so many things that prayer is so needful. It seems that we, we try everything, and once everything is exhausted, we say, well, okay, we might as well pray. Like if it's the last thing. No, it's supposed to be the first thing, the very first thing. So you're not like a chicken with your head cut off running around. The eighth occasion Jesus prays was in the Garden of Gethsemane to submit to the difficult situation by the will of God. Wow. How are we doing? No one escapes it. Listen to Andrew Bonner. Oh, brother, pray. In spite of Satan, pray. Spend hours in prayer. Rather neglect friends than not pray. Rather fast and lose breakfast, dinner, tea and supper, and sleep too than not pray. And we must not talk about prayer. We must pray in right earnest. The Lord is near. He comes softly while the virgins slumber. Wow. Eight occasions of the Lord's prayer life. They teach us some important basic principles for our own lives. Don't ignore them. Don't let them fall by the wayside. You that are young, if the Lord tarries, you've got a long way to go. I'm looking back to 41 years of ministry and being a Christian. Prayers brought me through my life family, this ministry. No problems? Right. I'd be a liar. Victorious? Absolutely. Heartache? Count on it. Tears? Get ready. Standing? All the time. Where else can we go? But the prayer. 
Life is complete with many seasons, some good and some not so good. But the common thread that is able to hold all things together, no matter what happens, is called prayer. That's today's simple truth from Pastor Xavier Reese. Now, if you'd like your own copy of today's message, ask for it by name, The Prayer Life of Jesus. We've made it available on CD for only $4. Plus, we'll be including everything we heard the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is The Prayer Life of Jesus, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com